0: I want to read to you from a familiar text this morning, at least at this time of the year, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. Now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, The days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared and stood before them, And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all of the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement, which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all of these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just as had been told them. The Christmas story is one that makes us stop and marvel. It's one that we treasure and that we hold dear. And it's one in which we find time to praise God and thank Him for the great gift He has given us, sending His Son, the Savior of the world. We remember Jesus is coming as the time in which He brought into the world that He had made hope and joy and love and peace. Jesus is the light of the world. And He came to shine the light of glory in the darkness. The darkness of sin and evil and wickedness all around we can look and find examples, even today, the consequences of sin, the fallenness of humanity. But Jesus came into this world, not to condemn the world, but to save the world. He brought with Him peace. And As we talk today about the peace Jesus brings... I want you to think about the time in which Jesus came, the time in which he was born. It was an interesting time. The Romans were pretty much ruling over the inhabited earth. They had taken control of the area known as Western Civilization. And Caesar Augustus decided that it was time for a census to be taken. After all, if you're one of the most powerful rulers in all of the world, perhaps the most powerful, why would you not want to step back and stop and reflect upon your own greatness? That's what a census is good for in this day and time. It would also help raise money for the government. They'd collect taxes from people as they went back to their Homes and cities and lands. Caesar Augustus was known to usher in the golden age of Rome. The historians call it the Pax Romana, or the Roman peace. Interestingly enough, the Romans did this not with good news of great joy, but with the swift and strong sword. After all, if you can't manufacture peace... You can always enforce peace. Thus was the attitude of the Roman government and empire. The author Luke of this New Testament book gives us when the census took place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria. Historians have debated and said, well, you know, we don't really know if this is when Jesus was born because we can't find any evidence in the history logs of this census having taken place. that doesn't really bother me. It might you, but the fact of the matter is this. We have yet to find any archaeological or historical evidence that disproves the truth of Scripture. People have questioned it because of things that they've read or things that they've found, and most oftentimes someone has found a later discovery that's disproven the questions and doubts that these people had in the first place. What's important to know, as far as Luke is concerned, is not this historical timeline, but this one person, seemingly insignificant, a carpenter by trade, we're told elsewhere in Scripture, his name was Joseph, and he was engaged to some girl named Mary. And really, there was nothing great or spectacular about this family At least in any earthly regard. At least as far as the Roman authorities were concerned. Mary was just a young girl. She was with child. Sure, there had been some scandal, I'm sure, around Nazareth and in that province of Galilee. Did you hear about Joseph and Mary? They're not married yet. They've been betrothed, but word on the street is Mary's pregnant. I saw the baby bump a couple weeks ago. Now, catch this. She says that Mary and Joseph have never had intimate knowledge with one another, but that God put a baby in her womb. Talk about crazy. Those people are nuts. I'm sure Mary and Joseph didn't really want to make the trip to Bethlehem, in one sense, because Mary was pregnant, at this point very pregnant. But I'm sure in another sense they were also ready to get out of town. And so they left. They came to Bethlehem. Wasn't a huge city by any means. Was fairly close to Jerusalem. Mary and Joseph would have probably had to travel through the city of Jerusalem, or at least on the roadway around Jerusalem to get to Bethlehem from Nazareth. But when they came to Bethlehem, the place that they were supposed to go in order to be counted for this census, the place where Joseph's ancestors had come from, namely King David, they found that Bethlehem was a little crowded. And probably so if a census had been ordered and people were having to travel back to sign up and get registered. But while they were there, they came and they found that there wasn't a place for them to stay at the inn, the common house, which is where travelers would often spend a night or two on their way through the city. And then something interesting happened. I don't exactly know how it happened. The Bible doesn't give us these details. But I imagine at some point, Mary kind of bent over and went, "Whoa!" Joseph thought it's time. Now keep in mind that these are parents for the first time. Luke tells us that this was Mary's firstborn child. What would you do if neither of your parents were around? No in-laws. You're in a different city and there's no room for you to stay at the place where you would normally stay. Well, I'm sure you like Mary and Joseph would have done went to the place where the animals were, right? Really, it was the place that was offered to them because there was no room in the inn. And at some point there, Mary gave birth to this son. They named him Jesus because unlike what everybody thought of Mary and Joseph They were telling the truth. An angel had visited Mary and told her that the Holy Spirit would put in her womb a son and that she should name him Jesus because God would send him to be the Messiah, to save the world from their sins. Joseph did think Mary was crazy at first, but an angel also appeared to Joseph in a dream later and said, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. The child that's in her womb really is conceived of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, like Mary, obeyed the Lord. Did what was asked of them by God to do. And that, in one sense, is what's remarkable about this couple. Mary had the faith to trust what God had said. And Joseph had the courage to do what God had asked him to do. They risked their reputations. In fact, in some sense, they ruined them socially. But they obeyed the Lord. In spite of what everyone else thought or what everyone else said, they did what God had asked them to do. And because of that, God's great plan was set in motion. A plan that had not begun with Jesus being placed in Mary's womb. A plan that had been in the works long before. A plan that goes back all the way throughout the Old Testament to the very beginning of the book of Genesis. After Adam and Eve had sinned, God told Eve that one day, one of her offspring would come forth And that old nasty, tricky, filthy, sneaky serpent who had deceived her into sinning and disobeying the Lord would be trumped. That her offspring, her seed, would be bruised on the heel as he stomped on the head of the serpent. This was God's great plan. To send Jesus into the world. But unlike the Roman government, that liked the pomp and the circumstance of being ushered into a city, trumpets blasting and people declaring, Here he is, Caesar, bow the knee. God sent his heavenly messengers out into a field where there were some shepherds. Just some common guys with a common job doing their ordinary work. Watching over their flocks by night. That's where God blasted his trumpets. That's where God sent his herald. To announce and to declare to the world that the Savior had come. It sounds kind of strange. But that's what the angel told them. And when the angels showed up, these shepherds were about scared to death. They were startled. A light shining in the sky, a voice speaking to them, "Don't be afraid." The first thing you're going to do is be afraid. He said, "But here's what I've come to share. I have good news of great joy which will be for all of the people." All of the people. Kings and shepherds, carpenters and young ladies, folks who had money, folks who had no money, folks who were blind, folks who could see, folks who were poor, folks who were rich, folks who had social standing, and folks who had no friends at all and were lonely. Jesus had come, the Savior of the world. And the angel then gave them Specific instruction. Here's the sign. You're going to find this baby. He's going to be wrapped in cloths and he's going to be lying in a manger. Now the shepherds would have known immediately what a manger was. They were used to seeing these things all the time. The word manger is a nice English word for feeding trough. A place where you would have fed your livestock. The shepherds were no doubt used to mangers, feeding troughs. But this wasn't a place you would lay a baby. And then after this one angel announced this news to them, then the really bright light shone. And the host of heaven, host is another word for armies of heaven. Could you imagine that? Started singing with a loud voice, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is Pleased. Those shepherds had heard something unreal, unbelievable, something they'd never imagined they would ever before witness. But yet they knew what they heard, and they knew what they saw. And they thought, if we've heard this and and we've seen this, maybe we should go check it out. I mean, after all, even though there's differences in times and places and cultures and customs, the longing of the human heart has really always been the same. Every human being wants peace. Not just the girls in the Miss America pageants who wave their hands and say world peace. Every human being longs for peace. Do they not? And at the prospect of finding this peace, the shepherds went as the angels instructed. The angels went back into the heavens, and the shepherds kind of looked around at each other. Said, so guys, let's go. We've got to check this out. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Peace came at a time when there was promised peace from the government, but there was still yet the longing for peace deep within the human heart. Peace came to people that no one else really thought much about. Peace came to people because God delivered it. He manifested it. He revealed it to them. The longing of the human heart has been for peace, but we can't seem to find it on our own, can we? Have you ever played the opposite game before? Somebody says a word and then you say the antonym. Maybe some of you have been to kindergarten. Let's practice. Black. That's pretty good. Loud. Loud. Okay, you guys kind of get it, right? I'm going to throw out a word. I just want you to start saying opposites, antonyms of this word. Peace. It seems like there's more than just one opposite to peace, is there not? War, violence, hatred, panic, chaos. Loudness, mess, brokenness, hatred, strife, panic, confusion, worry, anxiety, fear, frustration. The Hebrew word for peace, you've probably heard, shalom, communicates a sense of wholeness, completeness, or well-being. This is what Jesus brought into the world. This is what people longed for, but they couldn't seem to find or acquire. It didn't matter how hard they searched, how much they paid, or how harshly they enforced. Peace couldn't be manufactured by mankind. But it could be found. And it could be found because God wanted men to find it. And it could be found because God brought it to the human race. Peace on earth. Peace among men with whom he is pleased. There's a big grammatical debate in verse 14 about this phrase, goodwill. I'm not going to get into all of it now. If you've ever looked much into this, they call it the case of the missing sigma. And it basically boils down to this. Some of you have a King James Bible, and you'll be able to see that your translation says, Peace on earth, goodwill to men. Right? And then other translations, like the New American Standard Bible that I'm reading from, or the, the NIV, the NSV, will say something like, And on earth, peace among men with whom He is pleased. The question that people want to answer It's not really which translation is right. They just want to know, can there really be peace on earth? And so you'll find people debating this issue in verse 14. Some saying, well, yes, God brought peace, but he brought peace to those who have faith in him, with men among whom he is pleased. Among men with whom he is pleased. You'll find others Who will say, well, yeah, God brought peace when he sent his son Jesus. And on earth, peace, goodwill to men. I really think that the issue is not one of grammatical debate. It's not a case of a missing sigma. It's a case of a missing person. Jesus came to this world to provide peace. To all men. God sent him to this world to provide peace to all men. This is what the shepherds realized that they could find peace if they found Jesus, if they found this Christ child lying in the manger, wrapped in swaddling cloths, just as the angel from heaven had revealed to them. So they came in a hurry. They found their way to Mary and Joseph, and there they saw the baby as he lay. ...in the manger. Peace is more than a feeling or an emotion. Peace is found in a person. And his name is Jesus. And it's amazing, this peace. Because this peace is a peace that surpasses all understanding. This peace is a peace that guards our hearts and our minds... This peace is a peace that's given, not as the rest of the world gives. This peace is found in Jesus Christ. And yet it seems a paradox, doesn't it? That Jesus, this little Christ child, who was born and placed in a manger, could bring peace to the world when the most powerful ruler in the world Caesar, Augustus of Rome, could not even create peace with everything he tried to do. When Jesus brought peace into the world, he brought it in a different way. A way in which people didn't really expect. In fact, if you remember those verses that Caitlin read to you during the last song that the praise team was singing, from Isaiah The government will rest upon his shoulders. Of his reign there will be no end, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Even the Jewish people who read the scriptures and awaited the long-expected Messiah believed that this person would be a great king. Herod was scared to death when the Magi from the east came and said, There's a king who's been born. Because he thought that this king would replace him on his throne. But Jesus came to bring peace in a deeper way than anyone expected. He came to fulfill the longing of human hearts. And we know that he brought peace. There's evidence for it. In verses 18, 19, and 20. The first evidence is this, all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. The first evidence that Jesus brought peace into this world is the sheer wonder, the marvel, that all of the people around who heard it experienced. They didn't know what to say. They didn't know how to respond. Some of them, yes, may have been skeptical. Some may have doubted. But others, all they could do was stand with their jaws hitting the floor. Huh? What? Could this be true? This is the same thing that occurs when we experience peace in our own hearts through Jesus Christ, does it not? You find someone who gives their life to Jesus, who was before living a life of sin and outright rebellion against God, but once they're saved and something within them changes, people look at them and they go, huh? What? You you mean to tell me that You go to church now? You you mean to tell me that that guy that we used to run around with isn't doing drugs all the time and he's not drinking alcohol anymore? Instead, he's found satisfaction and fulfillment in life in Jesus? Peace, true peace, peace that comes through Jesus causes us to step back and marvel at his mighty work. It causes us to wonder at what He's done. But that's not all peace produces. In fact, the second evidence for peace in verse 19 comes from Mary. But Mary treasured all of these things, pondering them in her heart. It's not just that the world around us wonders at the peace that Jesus brings. It's that we personally ponder God's plan. We take time to treasure what God has done around us and what He's done in our own hearts and lives. Perhaps this has happened to you, Christian, who's been changed by Jesus Christ coming to live within your heart and providing you lasting peace. The times when life seems the most difficult, you're able to sit down, And sigh with a great sense of relief, knowing that you serve a good Father in heaven who has a good plan for your life, because He's a good God and He loves you. As Mary stopped and thought about all that had transpired, I imagine that she felt a peace rush over her heart and in her soul and her spirit that was beyond human understanding. Because after all, how could human logic explain how she had gotten pregnant in the first place? Just imagine that one, if you would. There's no human logic in the world that makes sense for that. Only that God did it. How in the world did she and Joseph make it all the way to Bethlehem? and How in the world did she have this baby in a cattle stall and then place this baby in a manger And all of a sudden, these shepherds walk up to them saying, Hey, an angel told us to come here because the Savior of the world has been born. Mary personally pondered the great plan of God. This is what peace produces. This is the evidence of peace in your own heart and in your own life. That you stop and you reflect. That you treasure What God has done in your heart and in your spirit by giving you new life when you trusted in Jesus Christ. There's times in your life when nothing else makes sense. But one thing does make sense. Jesus came and he died for your sins and rose again. And because you believed in him and trusted in him, one day you're going to experience eternal hope and joy and love and peace with him. You can rest assured of that. It's a treasure that you can pull out when everything else seems to be falling apart. When you question everything else, that peace is still there. And then the third evidence for peace is found in verse 20. The shepherds display this effect. They go back to their fields to take care of their sheep. And on the way, they are glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. Could you imagine the fun and the fellowship that ensued on the way back to go take care of their sheep? No longer would their daily job be as mundane and routine as it once was. They had witnessed something no one else got to see. Think about that. No one else. Angels appeared to them from heaven and announced to them that the Savior of the world had come. I imagine that they had church back on the way to their fields, that they're singing, that they're rejoicing, that they're dancing, that they're laughing. They were worshiping together, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just like it had been told to them. Is this not what we do as Christians when we come together? To worship the God who sent His Son Jesus to save us from our sins. To come and light the way to salvation in a dark world where people are longing for peace and can't seem to find it. Do we not gather together and pray to Him, thanking Him for the peace He's given us, singing praises to the One who died for our sins and rose again? We worship together. We glorify and praise God for the peace that He's brought to our hearts and our lives when we trusted in His Son, Jesus. Peace. Peace is real. Peace is obtainable. But it's not because we can find it on our own or we can create it or fabricate it or manufacture it. It's because God has revealed it to us in His Son. I want to play another game with you real quick. And I think maybe you'll have caught on to this by now. We played this one in elementary school as well. The teacher would call out a word, and then you would say it's synonym, right? So an antonym, the opposite. A synonym, what is similar, right? The same thing as. So in other words, if I said something like tall, you would say big, right? Synonyms. Something's tall, something's big. I want to say a word and I want you to give me its synonym Peace. Peace. His name is Jesus. Do you have peace? In your heart? Is there peace in your life? Where Christ is not, there's no peace. But where Christ is, there is peace. There is the fulfillment of the longing of every human heart. Jesus has come to make whole, to make complete. Would you stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? Maybe you're here this morning and the Lord has shown you that you don't have peace in your heart and in your life. I'm going to tell you that you can this morning if you'll trust that Jesus Christ died for your sins and that He rose again. Maybe you just need to come during this song of invitation and say, Jake, I don't know Jesus and I don't have peace. And I want to have peace in my heart and I want to know Jesus. I'll help you pray to the Lord. Tell you more about how you can trust Jesus and give your life to Him so that He can give you peace. Maybe God spoke in your heart in another way this morning. Maybe you just need to come down here and say, Jake, I need to be baptized, or Jake, I want to join the church, or Jake, God's called me to preach the rest of my life or to serve as a missionary. Maybe God has spoken to your heart in this way, and you don't need to come and talk to me. You need to go find someone else in this room. Maybe you need to come and kneel at this altar and pray and just pour your heart out to God. As God calls you this morning,